All right, so there you have it. Uh, what do you think? Keep, keep, keep your opinion to yourself. Uh, you know, it's a matter of uh, Christian liberty. Whether you're uh, involved in the prepping movement, and if so, to what extent, um, you, you should feel free about it. I don't think the scriptures legislate what we should do, uh, yay or nay, in this regard. <clears throat> in fact, it's probably, it's probably better to be prepared than not to be prepared at all. And uh, I think that's the point. That can be made from one verse of scripture I want us to look at tonight. We've been going through the book of Hebrews, calling it the letter of better. And I think we can make the case tonight that it is, based on this verse, better to be prepared for uh, quite a uh, climactic event uh, still yet before us, a future event, but uh, which could be on the horizon really at any time. So in Hebrews chapter 11, just verse 7, we'll take a look and see that it is, in fact, better to be prepared for what's coming. And we'll do it through still yet one more personality who made the cut, the faith honor roll, Hebrews chapter 11. It's Noah. So look, uh, verse 7 of chapter 11. By faith, and that, I think you're beginning to see, is the theme of this chapter, Hebrews 11. Every illustration of it, every real-life person who lived by faith has his story introduced by these two magnificent words, by faith. They're great words. Not by effort, not by inherent virtue, not by stick to not by promises, not by personal sacrifice, not by religion. No, by faith. Uh, so that's the introduction to the benefits which are about to follow, you'll see. By faith, it says Noah. Now you have Noah. What a great biblical personality. Not perfect for sure. There aren't any except the Lord Jesus. But, uh, but quite an exemplary character in many ways. Is there anyone here named Noah? Do we have any Noahs in the house? I'm just wondering. Every once in a while, there's somebody. Too bad. You should name your next child uh, Noah. It means rest or uh, comfort. And I think he surely found rest and a large measure of comfort in believing, in trusting what God said. And I think his example provides a measure of rest and comfort for us as well. Noah is spoken of in Genesis chapter 6 all the way to Genesis chapter 9 and in many other places. He's a key character. Uh, by faith, uh, the text says, Noah being warned. You see, he was supposed to be prepared. He, God wanted him to be a prepper. Uh, by faith, Noah being warned by uh, one no less than God himself. Being warned by God. Listen, I have to tell you, this tells us something about the character of God. If there is something to befall us, what kind of a God would it be who doesn't warn us about it? This is an illustration of the grace of God to take pains to warn us of quite a disaster to come. 
by faith Noah, being warned, not by his peer and not by some television program. Those things you could take it or leave it. It depends on your own perspective. Noah is being warned by God himself. By faith Noah, being warned by God, the text says, about things not yet seen. By who? By everybody else except God who is issuing the warning. That's the way it is. God's warning holds weight because he's the only one who has eyes to see the future before it has been realized. All things are a present reality to God because he's not bound by time. God doesn't think in terms of past, present, and future except for our benefit because we're locked into time. Yesterday was yesterday. We've lost it. Tomorrow is tomorrow. We don't know what it holds. Today is all we have. This is not true with God. He sees the end. See, from the beginning, this is something that distinguishes God from the rest of us. He makes use of time as a vessel and vehicle to accomplish his uh, kind, redemptive purposes, but he's not constrained by time, you see? And so he's able to issue a warning which ought to be treated with utmost respect because he could see those things, future things, which nobody else could see. So he, being so gracious, is warning a mere human like you and I, a pretty great human, Noah, but a human nonetheless, locked into time, limited by what he could see in the now. God takes pains to warn him about what he needed to prepare for in the future, it's going to come, God says, Noah, be warned so that you could be prepared about things not yet seen by you or anybody else. <clears throat> what things? Well, the Genesis account, particularly in chapter 6, tells us it is a particular thing called the flood. And why in the world would this gracious God tell Noah, be warned about a flood which is coming? And that's what he said. I'm going to send a flood on the earth and it's going to consume all who dwell on the earth. It's not going to be localized. It's going to be universal and absolutely devastating. A gracious God tells Noah about that flood which has not yet been seen by Noah or anybody else, but which is conceived in the mind of all Almighty God, in a good and gracious God, warns Noah to prepare for it, for it is coming. But why is it coming? Well, we have to make recourse to the Genesis account once again. And Genesis chapter 6 tells us God evaluated humankind, who he had created in his own image. What a privilege. Good night, he said to humankind. You're not a rock. You're not a tree. You're an animal. You're not an animal. I create you in my own image so as to commune with me. And humankind essentially rejects God and does their own thing. And God looks down from on high because he's the most high God. And he sees that all earth dwellers have corrupted their way upon the earth. He said the world is polluted not because of global warming or greenhouse effect or we're using the wrong light bulbs or some nonsense like that. Corruption and pollution was due to sin. God looked at it, and it was so per pervasive, God said, I'm sending a flood, a, uh, a flood of judgment. 
a literal flood to literally judge to the death all those who have brought death upon themselves through the corrupting influence of their sin. But no, I want you to be prepared for it. And the scripture says Noah responded to God by faith. It had to be by faith because all of these things are clearly stated to be those things which had not yet been seen. And so Noah's response to God's word of warning had to be by faith. It couldn't be by sight. It couldn't be by full understanding or comprehension. It had to be by faith. But by faith in what in particular? In God's word of warning. And you will see that is true of everyone in the faith honor roll. Hebrews chapter 11. Everyone here who made the cut as an exemplary personage who lived by faith put their faith not in generic things out there, not, 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 in, not in things like it'll all work out for the good. No, they put their faith specifically in a, in a precisely spoken word of God. Here God precisely said, I'm sending a flood. Noah responded to what God specifically said by faith. Now, why do I elongate that as much as I do? But because there's a terrible distortion of faith today, victimizing many in the body of Christ, perhaps you're one, and we would hate for that to be the case, but it may be. And the distortion is to say that biblical faith means you must put your faith in, uh, in your words, but that's not biblical faith. A biblical faith is faith in God's words, accurately handled. Biblical faith is not in your thoughts. Biblical faith in, is in what God thinks and has expressed in words. Here he clearly expressed to Noah, a flood is coming. That is the specific object of Noah's faith. Oh God, I trust that what you just said is going to happen just as you said it. So you have to be really, really careful that you don't put your faith in what you declare. See, that's called a positive confession. No, that's called occultic New Age thinking. There's no such thing. You do not have creative power. Only the creator does. I tried to distinguish the creator from me because uh, uh, I don't want to confuse the two of us. A and you should be distinguished from him as well. So one of the ways is to indicate he created time and exists outside of it, and you are bound by it. How do I know that? I've seen some of you checking your watches already. Time is like a big deal for you, and it's just a servant for God. See, the creator is above and beyond every other element in creation, and you and I are just creaturely beings. So you don't have creative power. No way. You can do something with the materials God has already spoken into existence. You can build and fashion something, but you can't call into existence what had no prior existence. You see, the earth was formless and void, and God made it all out of what did not hitherto exist. Only he could do that. So you want to be careful that you don't think you have that power. And that's what certain, they're called faith preachers, would have you believe today, that you can speak into existence the outcome you want to see. No, you cannot do that. And that is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is simply believing what God said. God said a flood is coming. 
Noah believed him, and it was reckoned to him, you'll see, as righteousness. So Noah put his faith in what God said. He responded to God, and specifically what he did was, in reverence, he built an ark. In reverence, he built, he built a box, a boat, but really more like a floating box is what it was. Huge, three stories, tremendous volume, could hold all kinds of people and animals and stuff. Do you know for centuries and centuries and centuries, even until modern days, it was the largest seafaring vessel ever known to mankind? A box, and by faith. This was Noah's response to what God said. He was a prepper. He was a biblical prepper. But, 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 but he was on good ground, you see. God said something's coming. It's a disaster. And Noah prepared for it by building this particular ark. And he did it in reverence. Now, your Bible may say in fear. It's okay. We're friends here. Um, um, it isn't fear, however. His attitude was not fear in the sense in which we normally think. of. It was a godly fear. A reverential fear. So we're all right here. You're fine where you are. Keep your Bibles. But, 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 but it isn't fear in the sense of, in the sense of, let me give you an illustration. I was at home uh, a week or so ago, and I was just zoned out watching TV or something. I think I was watching Doomsday Preppers. I don't know what. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw something move, and it was a gecko. You know, geckos, are good. they're not going to eat you or, or anything, right? But at the moment, I thought it was. It just, I, I was, I'm really glad no one was there to see what a little girl I became at, at the time. She was just like a fear. It was like a fear. Mommy, response. Man, that's not what's in view here. Um, it's fear in the sense of respect, reverence with regard to the one speaking. God spoke. Noah heard and uh, responded rightly. That's not happening a lot today. God is. God came near. God communicates. <clears throat> and so many don't pay respect to the word of God. Just ignore him as if he's, he's a non-entity. I'm from a Jewish background. I don't know if I ever told you that. And uh, there's something in my background, my religious background, which I really value. And it's very similar uh, to the experience you may have had if you're from a Catholic background. Are you from, is anyone here from a Catholic background? Let's just see. A lot, oh, there you go. Way to go. All right. Nice to see you. <clears throat> so if you're from like one of those backgrounds, Catholic or Jewish, one of the really good things you get is a real appreciation for the bigness of God, the transcendence of God. You get that through Catholic liturgy, which is quite beautiful. When you go to Catholic liturgy, man, you're not, you're not at a football game. It's not secular. It's sacred. When you go to a synagogue, uh, the ones officiating, just like a priest in the Catholic church there, 
attired differently. It's the total separation from the common and profane. I remember as a little Jewish kid growing up with this notion that there is one God and I ain't he. And he is like really big and holy and almighty. So if, you've, if you're from a Catholic background, that is a wonderful contribution you have received, a, a, as I have in my background. But what you have not done so good at, did you know it was coming to this? A, 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 nor has Judaism for me. They haven't given us, n- neither Catholicism nor Judaism, a lot of isms, don't really help us as much as they ought to in knowing that this great, transcendent, holy other deity can be known personally. See, that's where, that's where, you know, we fall. Yeah, that, that's where you, that's a big shortcoming. So there's two ways to show disrespect for God. One is to be so out of balance with reference to his bigness that you forget his closeness. And the other is to be so out of bounds with reference to his closeness that you forget his bigness. Some can be so familiar with God, you think he's your buddy and the the big guy upstairs. Have you heard that? That's called disrespect to almighty God. God is my co-pilot. That is disrespect to almighty God. See, those, those kinds of things. So you can err that way. The uh, transcendence of God, well, it, uh, Catholicism, Judaism uh, gives us this. Wonderful. But the imminence of God, not so good. <laughs> Keep your distance is what you get. So that, God, the two have to be held in balance. He is transcendent, but he's Emmanuel. He came near. Somehow Noah got this together. And so he out of reverential fear, uh, responded to what God warned him about by building an ark. He knew God can pull it off. He was not afraid of the flood. He reverenced the God who issued the warning about the flood. Why? Because he knew God could pull it off. So he wasn't for Noah in one ear, out the other. Have you watched these award ceremonies? I watch too much TV, don't I? I just really do. Um, you know, like the Grammys and the this and that and the everything, whatever. And uh, you get a lot of people who are moral reprobates. Not by my, I mean, you just, their lives are out there. Moral reprobates. Well, at first I want to thank God. Do you think that impresses God? Let me give a shout out to God. While I live a life so displeasing to him, I'm a stench in his nostrils. See, but Noah didn't do that. Noah said, flood, I don't get it. I don't comprehend it. I don't understand it. But I have a reverential appreciation that you who uttered the warning can and will send it. And in that spirit 
of reverential respect for the spoken word of God, he built a boat, a box. He built an ark. That's what he did. And the text says he did it, uh, preparing it for the salvation of his household. So did Noah save his family? No. The ark saved his family. (laughs) Did the ark save his family? Not exactly. Getting on board the ark saved each individual family member. Each individual family member had to also manifest faith in God's provision. To cause them to escape the throes of the disaster to come. Each individual member of Noah's family had to decide, I will join you on the ark. But this tells us something about Noah. Think about this. He must have told them about God. There's no guess about it. The New Testament tells us he was not only righteous, but a preacher of righteousness. He preached to them. You know what he told his family, his wife, his kids? He said, we are not right with God. We've done wrong. We have sinned. And God is holy and must judge it. And he is. It's a flood judgment. But God is also gracious. Therefore has provided a means of escape, the ark. And Noah is building it for how many years? 120 years. A long time. He's building this ark. And his kids are watching. And they can have a tendency to say, my dad is nuts. He's building an ark. I asked, dad, what are you doing? I'm building this floating vessel, container. But it was so far inland, there's no nearby body of water. That could have really questioned Dad's uh, stability. But there was something about their dad. He not only preached to them about the basis upon which they could be safe uh, in the face of God who was a consuming fire. He not only preached that somehow he must have lived in a way consistent with God's warning. He must have ordered his affairs in the present in light of what he told them is going to happen in the future. What good is it to tell your kids about the future? There is heaven for those who know the Lord Jesus. There is hell for those who reject him. If you live like hell as a parent in front of your kids now... Wouldn't your lifestyle invalidate your message? Yeah, my dad is always telling me I got to go to church and I got to pray. And he's always drinking and he's always cussing. And I know he's watching stuff he shouldn't be watching. And he mistreats my mom. And I know he cheats on his income tax refund. Wouldn't that invalidate your message to the kids? And wouldn't the kids be prone to say, I'm not getting on any boat with my hypocritical dad. Somehow hearing the voice of God didn't change his life. But that wasn't the case with Noah. Apparently, when God spoke and Noah 
by faith received it. The evidence of it was he lived today in light of tomorrow. His kids saw it, and they didn't move out of town. They got on the ark. They got on board, and they were saved. So somehow, his life lived by faith in God and God's word caused them to be saved. But at the same time, it caused others to be condemned. That's what it says next. By which he condemned the world. Now, how could it be that Noah, living the way he did, would have brought condemnation on others? Look, he's building this thing for decades. Neighbors come by. They hear the racket. <clears throat> what are you doing, Noah, say they? He says, I'm preparing for the judgment of Almighty God against whom we have sinned. He issued a warning. This ark is the means of salvation. If we believe in God's holiness, our sinfulness, and God's provision for our sin, we will be saved from the flood to come. Therefore, I'm investing my present day in what I believe to be a future certainty, even though I have not yet seen it with my own eyes, because I have faith in what God said. And they said, you are nuts. You're crazy. You're a fanatic. They said, we will live for the here and now. We have no eyes to see the future. We're going to get all the gusto today. If it feels good, we're going to do it. And from that point on, they are without excuse. They're not going to be able to say when they stand before God, we didn't know. Because Noah's lifestyle was the loudest sermon they ever heard. It was a sermon that revealed the presence of God, impending judgment, and the need to prepare for it. They simply rejected it. They'll never be able to say, you, oh God, are unjust, for you didn't give me an opportunity. And this should be a great encouragement for you and me my fellow Christians, to live the Christian life, the New Testament says, in so doing, will be like a fragrant aroma. Uh, for some, a fragrant aroma from life to life, and for others, from death to death. It's evangelism, perhaps not as you think. We want the goal of evangelism to be that it softens the heart of many. But the gospel message and a life lived consistent with it may actually harden the hearts of some. But even then, you and I have done our ministry. You see, the same thing can bring about salvation or condemnation. It depends on the person's response to it. The ark was a means of salvation, but it ended up being a means of condemnation for those who refused it. Faith in Jesus Christ evidenced by those of us who live in terms of his return, either melts the heart of some who say, I want to get on board, or others who say, I don't want anything to do with you. That's the way it is. 
So what did uh, Noah receive uh, as a result of his faith? The text makes it clear. Look, he became an heir of the righteous. He became an heir of right. He was given right standing. He was considered as if he, though wrong, he was considered as if he was right with God. He didn't get it by deserving it, working for it, jumping through any hoops, making promises he couldn't keep, living to the best of his ability, making excuses about his sin. Look, look, he inherited the designation of righteousness as an heir. It was given to him as a gift, righteousness, right standing with God as a gift. He was considered by God to be righteous because God declared him to be righteous and God declared him to be righteous on the same basis. He has always declared people to be righteous. And there it is, you see it in that verse. According to faith. He became an heir of righteousness according to faith, not according to virtue, uh, religious fervor and devotion, personal sacrifice, morality. <laughs> he became an heir, a recipient of this designation. Noah, you are not right. You have sinned against me in thought, word, and deed. But Noah, I pronounce upon you a new status. You stand okay with me. You are all right with me. You are right with me. On what basis? Your faith. By faith, Noah. Not in what you bring to the table, but in what I offer. I declare you to be righteous. Hey, wait a second. Isn't that like Old Testament? Genesis? Isn't that where Noah? Forgive me, I'm making a mistake because that sounds a whole lot like the New Testament gospel to me. In fact, you may be wondering, what is in this for us? Look, it's pretty obvious, it seems to me. Just as everybody who got on the ark was saved and everyone who refused it perished, everybody who accepts the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the ark of salvation, is saved, and everyone who refuses him perishes. You see, we through, you're taking liberties. You're talking about flood and Noah, and you're talking about this judgment still yet to come when Jesus returns. I'm not taking liberties at all. Do you know the Lord Jesus himself invoked this Noah episode to provide a warning for us today. Luke 17, listen, verses 26 to 27. And just as it happened in the days of Noah. By the way, this is the Lord speaking. And, and, and by the way, if you want to know what your attitude towards Scripture should be, it should be the same attitude the Lord Jesus has towards Scripture. He invokes it as if it has authority. 
He invokes it as if it's real, as if it actually happened. He doesn't call upon it as if it's legendary and filled with errors. The Lord Jesus himself in Luke 17 is invoking an episode way back there in Genesis with application to his day and ours. Listen, just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And he said, another warning, that's just how it's going to be when he returns to judge the earth. Well, what's wrong with these activities? Eating, drinking, marrying, all that stuff? Nothing. That's the point. People were so consumed with the realities of the present day, they refused to heed God's warning about a future day. That's the problem. They were squeezing, milking out of today as much gusto as the day could possibly offer in total disregard to God's warning about a future day. Just as in Noah's day. So too the Lord says it will be. At the coming of the son of man. Prior to the return of the Lord. Our day. People are going to be living. Just as if. The realities of today have no end. That's how it was in Noah's day. But they do have an end. Every political entity, every economy, every sin, every distortion of God's view of marriage, every murder of a baby in a womb, every ounce of corruption, Immorality, depravity, all the rest. is having its day now. And then comes judgment. And God is so good and gracious. That instead of on impulse. In a snap of his finger. Speaking out of existence. The world he spoke into existence. He said, as for Noah and a remnant, a new world to come after the flood, so too for those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus by faith, entrance into a new world to come. This world is just about ready to be played out. It's okay to prepare for natural disasters, terrorist attacks, and all that stuff. Pollution, air, water, and all the rest. It seems to me it's okay to do that. But folks, the best preparation for absolutely every possible contingency, and especially the very real future reality of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ for judgment 
upon the earth. The best way to prepare is to get on board now by faith. It's really, really serious. I should not say this, but there's a lot of things I shouldn't say, and I find myself saying them anyway, and probably regretting it later. It's sort of a disease. Uh, I think we Americans have passed the point Uh, I think we're already being judged. It could could cause you to lose sleep. It could cause you to have undue stress. It, It could cause you to be, have fits of anger. It could cause you to prepare in uh, illogical and irrational ways, a better thing to do is to say, Lord Jesus, I'm prepared for any future contingency by asking you to wrap your arms around me as my Savior, by forgiving my sin, by taking me up into your family, by granting me new life and entrance into an entirely new reality where there won't be even one singular tear. You will dry them. No longer any death or dying. You will eradicate human sin, my own, and that of all who have gained entrance into heaven. God is the best preparation for me to say, I have sinned against you. You have warned me about the results. I must show reverential fear and respect to you. You're the creator. Not lip service. I want to thank God. No, I want to bow before him. I want to show deference to him. I want to show respect to his word by putting my faith in it. And you say, I came to give life and give it abundantly. And I came to give life eternally. And this life is contained not in a wooden box. Just That just typifies the one who really came with eternal life. The Lord Jesus. He who has the Son by faith has the life. And he who forsakes the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him. I may buy some more water, you know, portable potty, I don't know, whatever. Get some dried foods, who knows what. That's cool. But I'm ready to stand before my maker. And offer only one play. And that is that his blood was shed for me. Can you say that? It's really, really, really. You need to figure that out. Could you bow your heads just for a second? Just for a second. Nothing mystical, magical. I just want you to be distracted. Just some quiet time, if you don't mind. You and God. Listen to me. You didn't get here on your own. You're not self-generated. You have a creator. You, creature, and creator, how are you and he doing? 
are you right with him? Think about it. If not, what's wrong with you? Because there's nothing wrong with him. If you're having a hard time labeling it, the Bible calls it sin. And it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're not right with God, what's wrong with you is that sin. So now I want to ask you, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to deny it? It's too pervasive for you to do that. Don't fool yourself. Are you going to try to cover up for it with your goodnesses? Your goodnesses can't come close to the standards of holy perfection required of you by a holy God. It's not going to work. That's why the Bible says all our attempts at good deeds are like filthy rags. What are you going to do? Wouldn't it be great if God had an ark ready for you, as with Noah? Wouldn't it be like the bestest thing ever? Are you able by faith to understand there is an ark? It's God's only begotten son. It's Jesus sent from on high. Inviting you into a relationship with him, saying it's possible because he's the one in dying who paid the debt for your sin. He's the one who says, I'll take you up. He's the one who says, if you accept me, I will bequeath to you righteousness as with Noah, according to your faith in me. It's a future contingency you've not yet seen, nor I. Can you believe it? Jesus is coming again. And he will effect the separation as in Noah's day, so too in ours. And it'll be those who have the son and those who do not. It won't be good people, bad people. We're all sinful people. It won't be black people, white people, old people. Yeah, no, those are the ways we divide. No, no, God will divide humankind only on one basis, those who have the son, those who do not. Just as Noah and his family had occupancy in the ark, do you have a faith connection to the Lord Jesus? If not... Why not? I would love to know. Why not? If we cannot succeed in talking to you you into faith that saves, I would like to challenge you to talk us out of our faith that saves. Do you have a better idea than accepting the Lord Jesus? If so, let's talk. And I just want to know if even as you sit there right now, someone would like to be prayed for, not by name, someone would like to be prayed for. Someone there is saying, 
I want to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my life, forgive my sin, declare me to be right with him by his provision, by his shed blood. I want to do this by faith. If that's you and would like me to pray for you in those terms, would you please raise your hand just where you are? We're making it so easy. That might be the hardest thing for you. Who here wants Jesus to save them tonight for the first time? I guess that's what I'm saying. Thank you. You could put your hand down. Thank you so much. I'm going to pray for you. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Are you not right with God? Why don't you let the Son make you whole? The Son of God. Is there anybody else who would like Jesus to come? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. We don't have words to express our gratitude for what you have gone through that we might be forgiven and adopted into your family. We don't have words. Thank you, Lord. And as Noah's faith was proven by his works, he built an ark. Oh, God, may our faith in you be evidenced by our consistent lifestyle lived in a way that's pleasing to you so that some would see and want to get on board even though others will be condemned by the very thing. Oh, God in heaven, what a day this is. We may not be able to redeem the institutions of our society, but you stand ready to redeem its individual members. Oh, God, fill up your family even more and be our hope in an otherwise hopeless day. Thank you for your gracious warning of a future contingency. We cannot see with our eyes. It is your return. And, oh, God, having come to know you now, we do not fear you, for your perfect love has cast it out. Oh, God, I pray these two, perhaps more, who have raised their hand as an indication of their heart. Oh, God, I pray you'd fill it. Save them today and forevermore. Give them a deep appreciation for the forgiveness of their sins the adoption into the, your family and new life in Christ Jesus. There's good news in the midst of all this bad news. Jesus saves. Thank you, Savior, for saving us. This we pray in your precious name. Amen.